0: My good cocaine. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm troubled to say, my bird. Ann Arbor, the home of Freeform. The indiscriminating, discriminating listener's choice in the belly of the beast. And now, some more Ben Webster.
1: Good afternoon. You're listening to The Living Writer Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Ashley David, and my guest today is author Samuel Shimon. Born in Iraq, in Al-Habaniya, in 1956, an Assyrian Christian, he left Iraq at the age of 23, traveled around much of the Middle East, and eventually landed in... Uh, France as a political refugee, and um, all of this was on the way to Hollywood to become mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. filmmaker. Um, we, At least this is what we're led to believe in his autobiographical novel, An Iraqi in Paris, which was published in 2005. He's also the founder of Kika.com, which is a website- and Gilgamesh editions in Paris and is the co-founder of Paul Press with his wife Margaret Obank who joins us also today in the studio editor and publisher of Paul Press Margaret Obank is here and will do a little bit of reading for us and um, a little translating in case we my Arabic is so terrible (laughs) (laughs) as is my French so welcome Samuel Shimon thank Uh, you for joining us today
2: Uh, thank you Ashley for having me thank you very much
1: and thank you Margaret for joining us as well well, before we get started, I'd just love to hear a little bit of the book, and then we'll launch into the conversation. So, um, Margaret Ovank, reading in English for um, Samuel Shimon, who wrote the book in Arabic. You've got a good
3: imagination and strong memory, you know. You don't need to be on the streets. You don't deserve all this suffering. Dino spoke passionately. Are you hungry, he asked. I nodded in an affirmative. I'll make you some spaghetti. I'd got to know Dino during my visits to Shamil, who would knock on Dino's door whenever he needed an onion or some garlic or bread. Also, if we were having a party, we knocked on his door and invited him to join us. As the days passed, we became friends. I recalled the first time I'd been to Dino's place. It was in the afternoon, and Dino was in the kitchen. What do you do for a living, Dino? I watched him take a small tomato. After he'd hollowed it out, he put it on the end of his nose. This is what I do, he had said, and smiled. I devoured my spaghetti quickly. You still have the same bad manners, Dino said. Don't eat so fast. After we started talking about the theatre and cinema, about dreams and aspirations, Dino looked at me inquiringly. You've been homeless for a long time, he said. I'm sure this must cause you a great deal of suffering. Could you tell me how you deal with your pain? I postpone it, I answered straight away. Yes, I always try to postpone my pain to another time. How? My dear Dino, I discovered at the very beginning that when a man finds himself lying on the streets, he has no option but to do as Scheherazade did. He must postpone the pain. The homeless guy has to be clever like Scheherazade in The Thousand and One Nights. He recounts his dreams and fantasies to take him away from concrete roads, public park benches, train stations, cold winter winds and his empty stomach, and then he'll see the benches become feather beds and the cold winds blowing around him become warm and comforting. I looked at Dino. ''And you, dear Dino, how do you deal with pain?'' I asked. ''Pain is what drives a man to become a clown,'' he said softly. Dino started making up a clean bed for me in the the sitting room. I watched him arrange the sheets and put on a new floral pillowcase. As I came out of the bathroom in the morning, I found him waiting for me, holding a wallet in his hand, like a mother getting her child ready to go to school.'' He'd made me a sandwich, and handed me fifty francs, a few metro tickets, and up to thirty-three francs worth of food vouchers. Winduena saw me looking at the postcards hanging on the wall of the hallway, among which were a number I had sent him from the various cities I had visited. He laughed. You know, he said, Francois Mitterrand sends postcards to his old friends from wherever he travels. He's kept up the habit since he was young. Then, just as I was leaving the apartment, he said, You see, there is something in common between someone living in the streets and the president of France.
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) That's Margaret O'Bank reading from an Iraqi in Paris, the English version by Samuel Shimon. Well, I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about the book. It's divided into two parts. Um, The first part is this journey from Iraq to Paris, and the second part is um, the boy um, and... tells the boy and the The
2: childhood story yes Uh, well uh, in 85 I uh, arrived in France I wrote a script for uh, like uh, for a film script about the childhood but you know it was very difficult I arrived a refugee uh, homeless I didn't have place I didn't speak French even my English was not good and uh, I forgot about the script, I just wrote it in Arabic, I left it, and even I don't know, still, uh, I used to live many places, maybe the script is somewhere around France.
1: Somewhere in Paris? Yes, somewhere <laughs> in
2: Paris, and then uh, later, years later, I started to, to, uh, to, to say to myself, I have to, must write a novel. So I wrote uh, about how I was living in Paris, in Iraq in Paris, but uh, in the end I said, it's not good just to write about Paris. Uh, it must be uh, something like this guy. He's uh, hanging around ten years. I mean, like a homeless in the street of Paris. So I must people know what he's thinking about childhood. So I make when you finish the first uh, book, you go to the uh, uh, first part. You go to the second. Is about the childhood because he always dreamed to uh, how he loved first time the cinema. Of course, it's all about American movies, forties, fifties.
1: And let's talk a little bit about the American movies. So the fascination in the book is with American movies, but you end up in France, which has its own very important sort of cultural production. Um, The Nouvelle Vague, New Wave French Cinema is, is... Quite well respected, uh, but it's it's all about Ford <laughs> and yes, John Wayne. Yes, yes, yes.
2: I, 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 uh, I loved uh, John Ford from childhood. I have seen all the Cowboys movies, you see. Uh, uh, with, about France, when I was in France, because, you know, I'm from Iraq, and Iraq is an anglophone country, so all the movies in Iraq come from America and from uh, uh, England. Uh, but, uh, for example, in Lebanon, when I was in Lebanon, uh, I don't know how to say that in the book. Maybe Maggie, she can read the passage of that, about Godard in the book. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's because in France, in, in, in Lebanon, there are Frankfurt, you know, they have a lot of movies from France. We have not really, more movies we have is from America, especially from uh, in, in Iraq in the 60s. All the films, they were from uh, Hollywood. And I discovered uh, John Ford because there's a uh, a character in the books called Kyriakos. He told me all the films. He wanted to be an actor. Uh, he was telling me all the stories about John Ford, his life, what he eats, how he makes movies, it was about his roots from Ireland. And I can say I knew everything about John Ford, you see. So I did not John
1: luc Godard. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all.
2: No, because the later, later I I knew about Novelle Vague, You see, and even uh, I said in the book in some parts how I was in a cafe once and I met uh, John luc Godard. I paid coffee for him
1: because he saved your, or his <laughs> yes. name anyway saved your yeah. Maybe yeah. we could hear that part too, Maggie. Yeah. Would you mind reading that that little bit for us? Do you Let think you can so find hard. it for us? I didn't mark it. Um, this is when you are you. M- encounter many obstacles on your way out of um, Iraq and through the Middle East. Um, You are captured and thought to be doing things that you were not doing and beaten and that sort of thing? Yes, and,
2: uh, well, well uh, when I left Iraq in 79, I was a, you know, a very innocent guy, 20 years old and I want to go to America. I was to uh, Syria. I told them, I, I love America. I'm going to America to make a movie. They beat me very hard and then uh, my name was a problem. They thought I'm a Jew. So, you know, they they think I'm a spy and uh, after they tortured me, they released me. you see And then the same thing happened in Jordan. I was uh, tortured in the, in the prison and then Lebanon with the phalangists and uh, Maggie she can now read that passage about Lebanon
3: this is when you've been arrested by the phalangist Yeah. i needed not much time to discover how naive i was for the phalangist militiamen who i thought would treat me kindly made me feel that compared With their treatment, my arrest in Damascus had been a mere joke, for the Phalangists tortured me with a deep venom and hatred for their enemies, the Syrians and Palestinians. On the third day, a young man came to me and said in all calmness, "'Rise, son of a whore, and come with me.' He was about twenty-five years old and wore jeans and a white shirt, exactly what I was wearing. We walked along a narrow alley. A bald man passed us by and said as he rushed to get into a military car, "'Tony, don't waste much time on him.' The young man replied, ''Do we have time to waste?'' He then turned to me, jeering. ''Did you hear him, mister? Do you know what he means?'' ''He's my superior and he's asking me to throw you into the sea.'' So I repeated my story to him, pleading. ''May God bless you, Tony. Believe me, I'm innocent and know nothing about the war or Lebanon.'' He kicked me in the backside, ordering me, ''Walk in front of me, you despicable man. You've ruined our country.'' At the end of the narrow alley, we stopped at a wide concrete wall next to the sea. Fondling his handgun as he looked at the sea, Tony said, I'll give you a last chance. If you tell me why you've come here, I promise I'll intervene in your favour and release you. Think well, you have five minutes. He sat on the wide sea wall, took out his blue pack of Jodan cigarettes and began to smoke. You have to tell me everything, he asked, before I finish smoking my cigarette." All of a sudden, I felt things had got extremely serious, so I said calmly, Listen to me well, Tony. I'm from a poor Assyrian family, and I always dreamt of travelling to America in order to be work in the cinema. Believe me, Tony, I don't work with any political or non-political organisation. I'm telling the truth. He threw his cigarette into the sea and put his handgun to my temple. If you kill me, Tony, I said instantly, many people will be sad. Nobody will be sad, he replied, at the death of a lousy bum. "'working as a professional spy. "'I want to make movies. I'm not a spy. "'You terrorist bastard! "'You know what movies mean? "'You're not here to put a bomb in a church or a children's school. "'What do you know about movies, you son of a whore? "'I know everything. "'I'm not like you and your friends, killing and smoking chitin.' "'I felt his handgun touching my temple. "'I closed my eyes. I could hear my heart throbbing. "'After several moments of silence, Tony said, "'Do you know Godard?' Do you know someone called Jean-Luc Godard? I wanted to shake my head to tell him no, but I did not dare in case it made him the handgun go off and fire a bullet into my head, so I said it in a low voice. He asked again, Haven't you heard of the Nouvelle Vague? No, I replied. Son of a whore! Ha! I've given you another chance and you failed again. At that moment, I shouted out. I know everything about John Ford, about John Wayne, about Henry Fonda, James Stewart, Gary Cooper, Maureen O'Hara. I know Katherine Hepburn. I know Roy Rogers, the King of Cowboys. I know Victor Mature, Ava Gardner, Gregory Peck, Alan Ladd, Vera Miles, Randolph Scott, Clark Gable, W. D. Griffith. I know everything about Marlon Brando. I know Marilyn Monroe, Olivia De Havilland. I know Richard Widmark, Jane Russell, Robert Mitchum, Audrey Hepburn. I know Rock Hudson, James Dean. I know Gene Tierney. I know Clint Eastwood, Paul Newman. I know Rod Taylor. I know Lee. Marvin, Humphrey Bogart, Bob Hope, Earl Flynn, Joan Crawford. I know Dean Martin. I know everything about Norman Wisdom, everything about Charlie Chaplin, everything about Ron Clift. I know even King Kong and Frankenstein. When I stopped, I heard Tony laughing. I opened my eyes. He had returned his handgun to its place under his belt. Listen, cowboy, he said. Let it be known that Hollywood cinema is weak compared with the films of the Nouvelle Vague. Unable to believe what was happening, I went along with him. Perhaps... Wonderful.
1: Thanks very much. That's Margaret O'Bank you for reading. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we were going to do a little uh,
2: switcheroo. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry, I my glasses to read that. I wanted to show the names, all the names I did exactly in Beirut. You see, because the the, the guy is, is from Lebanon. He has his references. He's a Francophone. He knew early the French movies. I didn't know the French movies at the time, in the 70s. So, you know, American films and...
1: But but nonetheless, having shouted all these down... And he's you arrogant. Sure you you see, he's, yeah. a, he's
2: a French... Uh, Lebanese, a French culture, he's arrogant. He considers me as a cowboy because I talk about Hollywood, you see. This is the, they have Charlie. the ideas like that. But he let
1: you go anyway. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, I,
2: well, I was innocent, Fortunately, you see.
1: Fortunately. <laughs> fortunately. And yeah. then, um, so you stood jean Le Godard... In Paris for a drink, because in fact... Yes, when he came in, the I was
2: a very uh, in the cafe I used to go. He came, he asked for coffee, and I asked the the waiter to take money, I paid for him. And then when Godard left, the guy asked me, who is this man? I said, he, this is the man who saved my life. <laughs>
1: Fortunately. Um, well, I wonder if you'll talk a little bit before, we're going to take a short break in a minute, but I wonder if you would talk a little bit about the difference between memoir and novel, um, autobiographical novel, how and why you decided to frame this book as um, autobiographical novel as opposed to straight-up memoir or just novel.
2: Yes. Uh, well, I used to read a lot of, uh, in Arabic, of course, of Henry Miller. And I think with Harry Miller, if you go, you don't know where he's speaking about uh, it's his life or his, uh, uh, he tells always the things he lived. And uh, before Harry, Harry Miller, I discovered a writer, uh, It's called John Fante. he's an American writer also, and the, the guy who influenced Charles Bokovsky. Uh, to write, you know, uh, I also knew John Fanta through a Tunisian friend of mine. He used to like John Fanta He gave me his book uh, until the Supreme uh, Bandini, and uh, there's another book. Uh, it's called. Uh, it's, about, it's all about in Los Angeles You know, he li- I lived in Los Angeles and, uh, as a poor guy, uh, Ask the Dusk And uh, then when I started to write, I found I can write books like these guys, you know, talk about your life, but it make it like a, a fiction and uh, sometimes becoming very autobiographical when I speak about my mother and then real names and things like that. But uh, but it, it it is put sometimes like stories. It's like a, We call it the autobiographical novel. I think all Harry Miller's book is written autobiographical novels also.
1: Wonderful. Thanks. Well, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back. You're listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Ashley David. My guest today is Samuel Shimon, author of An Iraqi in Paris. We'll be right back. Good afternoon, we're back. I'm in the studio today with Samuel Shimon, author of An Iraqi in Paris, and Margaret Owenk, with whom he co founded Bonnie Paul Press. And, um, Maggie, if you'll read another little bit from the book for us, and then we'll talk about um, intellectuals and genteel poverty and homelessness in Paris. How about?
3: <laughs> a few months ago, I accompanied Shamil on a visit to the Spanish playwright Fernando Arabal at his home in Paris for an interview for an ma- Arab magazine. When Arabal heard my name, he gave me a hard look. After the interview, he went off somewhere in his huge apartment, whose walls and ceilings were covered in original paintings, all works by his friends such as Picasso and Salvador Dali. Some of the paintings on the ceiling in the big living room showed a flying angel with a face and a small body with a pink penis about a meter long. When he came back, he was carrying a copy of one of his early books. He wrote some words in it and gave it to me, saying, I want you to have this book. Please keep it. Don't sell it. He must have felt my surprise and emotion and explained that his son was called Samuel, maybe the only one in Spain, and that he named him after my dear friend Samuel Beckett, who was with me when my son was born. That night I stayed in Uncle Silas till two o'clock. I drank a lot and ate a nice couscous, and I cried a lot and wrote a poem to my father.
1: Thank you very much. Um, That's from an Iraqi in Paris, an autobiographical novel. And I wonder if you would tell us a little bit about um, some of the stories behind the stories. Um, You've spent 11 years in Paris, and... um, often homeless, occasionally you would be in an apartment for a time, but um, in this homelessness you managed to run across many of the major intellectuals um, from both the Middle East and the West, um, Yes. In Paris. Tell us about the yes, place. Uh, in
2: well, Saint-Germain-de-Paix. Uh, uh, when uh, in the book, I explained with a friend called Maurice, a chapter in the book is called Maurice. Maurice, this guy is French guy. He asked me once, uh, I was walking, I said, Oh, look, this is uh, Marcello Mastriani. He's coming. Let us say hello. I know him. He said, Do you know him? I said, Yes, I know Marcello Mastriani. And then after a few minutes, I said to Marco Ferreri, the famous director, I saw him also uh, coming out from the supermarket in Rue uh, du Seine in Paris. I said, Oh, Mr. Ferreri, how are you? He said, Oh, hi, how are you? And I this guy told me, "You know all these guys. I said, "Yes, I know them, you know, and then he told me, "Of course, you are ten years in the street uh, if, if somebody will live in Paris ten years in the street, he will meet up with God himself face to face
1: <laughs> did you <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I met all, all the Arab writers, they were my friend, and they helped me a lot, and I know many uh, once I was sitting in the cafe and the uh, famous director Emil Kotsarrita, he was walking and he said hello because I used to see him in can festival film and he introduced me someone." Uh, guy with him and then he was Johnny Deeb the actor uh-huh. yeah, I, at that time I just saw one film for him it's called Edward with Scissorhands yeah. yes, I said hi Johnny I like your movies and Johnny Deep, when he when he, grew, he told me, Khuda Hafiz. It means, God bless you, or bye bye, Iranian. I told him, I'm Iraqi, not Persian. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> he mixed between Iran and Iraq. Persian, <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> a little
1: mix up. Well, you so know. So, I live
2: in you know, San Germain de Prey. It's a very good um, area. Also, I used to meet with uh, John Ashton, an actor here from Hollywood. He's famous. He was uh, with Robert De Niro in Midnight Run. I used to uh, drink whiskey every day for one week he, he used to shoot his film in Paris uh, a French film it's what I I want to go home
1: how did you how did you meet up with these folks i mean you were there but there are a lot of people there how did you end up in conversation with them all
2: yes you know we seem, uh, uh, for example with john ashton i, I just Ten minutes I uh, left the film, I, I, I watched this film, Midnight Run, and I went to the cafe, it's around, you know, the corner, I take a drink, and then John Ashton came in the cafe, I said to a friend of mine, look, uh, this is John Ashton, we just saw film, he was with Robert De Niro, the second guy who was working the film. And then I said, Mr. John Ashton, I'm from Iraq, and I know you, and he was a first care from first when I told him I'm from Iraq. From Iraq. <laughs> and then I told him, no, come on, I like movies, and Hollywood. And then uh, I invited him for whiskey, because uh, I was happy it was in autumn, 88, and Najib Mahfou, the Egyptian writer, got Nobel Prize for literature. Yeah. So I told him, on this occasion, I invite you. And then he was, uh, he was uh, very kind. He said, what is the name? I said, Najib Mahfou. So he said he would buy his books. And the next day, he came to the same place to drink. He saw me there, so he knew Barfly, so we <laughs> become <I'm> friends. <laughs> the yeah. secret yeah. to meeting yes. all the intellectuals <laughs> yes. is Barfly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was it. <laughs> yes, because I met many publishers, American publishers, in, in the bars also. You know. We talked, he said, I'm a publisher. I said, oh, yeah, good. that's good. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, there was all this cinema happening in Paris at the time. Did you get involved at all? You, you left Iraq to, to go to Hollywood and work in the movies. Did you... Yeah. You, uh, uh, you stayed in Paris so long. You don't
2: believe it, maybe. Uh, people use, uh, consider me, I'm a crazy guy. I told them I will never make film only in Hollywood. Ah. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> they, they told I me you're the crazy. To you crazy. How did the respond at that? You think of Paris, and they said you're just mad. I go to Cannes every year and uh, never tried to do it. Never, never. I just thought maybe I'm wrong, sure, but uh, I was just thinking to make film, I must go to Hollywood to make film, not any uh, other places, <laughs>
1: Have you been to Hollywood now?
2: Uh, well, I went three times, and I used to just drink all the day and uh, never met anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. No, no. There's the difference between
1: Los Angeles and <laughs> yes, Paris. Yes, yes. You only meet barflies in the bar in L.A. Yes, I, it's uh. nice
2: to go drink there, really.
1: <laughs> 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 Wonderful. Well, um... Let's talk a little bit about, um, when we speak of homelessness in in this country, it's a very dire concept. Um, We don't think of drinking in the bar with the intellectuals. I wonder if you could talk about how you managed this Mm. sort of um, living on the streets, this bohemian existence, which was not dire poverty.
2: Uh, yeah, you, you see, I explained in many places in the book about this. Uh, I was, uh, well, I have a very good relation with a friend. Uh, you know, when you become uh, uh, in the street and you don't have a house, well, in the book I said, I'm not homeless and above. I said, I'm a guy without house. And oh, that's okay. not a problem, you see. I used to uh, take shower every day, very clean. And no one believed, if you go to Paris, all the barbers, they know me, the guy, waiters. They, if you tell them I wasn't homeless, they would never believe that. Because I give them, what do you call, the tips. Uh-huh. and things like that, they, so they don't believe me. Yes, they said, I'm a very generous guy and I drink all the time and I drink very clean and, but the secret is, uh, not, I was, uh, from the beginning I said to myself, you are normal like other guys but you don't have house and that's not a problem you just have problem to sleep the six hours how you can manage to find a place so it was sometimes difficult, very difficult but I think with my illusion, it was everything easy you see, I used to be in the street uh i like a, a say by samuel bickett he said when well i can't say it is very well uh, <laughs> okay yes yeah well i said you can maybe anyway uh two things make me uh, uh, forget the pain it's singing, you know it's beautiful to hear the music and uh, I learned French language, but from the music. I, I used to keep all the songs and I sing all the night until the morning.
1: We just played Serge Gainsbourg. Uh, uh, who I, I in adore the Serge Gainsbourg.
2: I I used to see him. Uh, uh, I saw him many times. He was a very generous guy. He used to give money for many friends of mine In the, the many homeless, they go to see him. He said Bonjour, Monsieur Serge Gainsbourg. He give them money. He was a very good man.
1: And his daughter now is in film. She's in a film, Yeah, Yes, Charlotte
2: is right? yes, very famous. She's a very yeah. famous actress, yeah.
1: And it's starting to, to record music or has already recorded music too. I like
2: the, her work with her father. Even people, they were against it, you know, they said uh, it was very sexy and things like that. You know, he's crazy.
0: Yeah.
2: i got to bless him. I like Serge Giles very much, really.
1: Yeah. Were there others that you listened to when you were there? You, you said you learned French from the, from yeah. the, the music.
2: Every, well, uh, many, I can't remember them now. One, one of them, of course, Sergei Osbourg and uh, Charles Navarre. And uh, I mention him in the book because uh, I like Charles Borg. Because in French, there's uh, many poetry in their songs, you see. That's what I like, really. Yeah. Uh, and you're
1: a poet as well as a as a person, Well, though,
2: I, I wrote some, um, uh, what they call it, uh, Parisian poetry. You know, small poems, uh, prose poems, like... Uh, uh the French, I think this is they called prose poems, you know, French, they wrote it, they were called Parisian poets, which uh, Baudelaire invented uh, this kind of writing. Yeah. Yes.
1: Well, and you, so you were in Paris now for 11 years, um, didn't go to Hollywood then, and from Paris you went to London, to London. which is where you live now.
2: Yes. And Uh, Well, I worked in in, in Paris Uh, I know a friend of mine He was an editor I told him uh, Look, I'm tired I I want to work I decided to work He said, okay I have a newspaper in London Do you want to go to work there? I said, yes So I went to be a cultural editor For a magazine Uh, It was a paper weekly and uh, after a few months, I met uh, Margaret Orbank, my wife. And
1: Who's with us in the studio today? Yes. And mm-hmm.
2: then uh, one day I said to Maggie, look, I know everybody, all the writers and things, and the world literature, and she knows uh, all the Arab literature, and she read many, uh, she many authors. I said, let's do this uh, Banipal magazine, which is now about nine years, a very famous magazine.
1: Yeah. Now this is Banipal, the magazine of modern Arab literature, which the two of you co-founded, and you both edit and Margaret, you publish. Mm-hmm. Um, are you drawing literature then from all over the world to publish, or are these are these Arab intellectuals outside of of living in Europe? Um, how are you How are you compiling the magazine?
3: Well, the, the authors are from anywhere in the Arab world, or living outside the Arab world, but they have to be Arab authors, and they could write in any any language, usually Arabic, of course, but sometimes French, and uh, sometimes once, twice German, sometimes English. But uh, generally, Samuel, through his uh, connections with his own website, and which is Kika.com. Um, because he's been a cultural editor himself, and he's in contact, daily contact with Yes, Literacy. I know all
2: Arab writers uh, uh, personally. That, that was very helpful for, to make the magazine because it, I traveled in all Arab countries and from Lebanon to Syria to Egypt to Tunisia and all. I met them and, uh, yes. I think it's very important when you do a translation, a magazine of translation, to know the authors, really know them, not just uh, translate them without knowing anything about their work. Why is that? uh for example when we tr- uh, now we talk any- any writer in the Arab world, I know his work, really all of them when can and can i can say what is right- he's writing uh, two or three books I read them, I know all uh, but for someone else, you don't know the arab writers, just names you say that name is famous, but they don't know any writing of this guy, you see, but he knows he's a famous. I know many Japanese, they they told me about some Arab names, and I said, did you read him? He said, no, they told me, he's a great writer. I said, yes, that's it, you see. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing
1: else. How do you feel about the translation of your book? Were you involved in the, there were several people who were involved in the translation of your book. Did you?
2: No, true, not. but uh, Margaret, she's here, I can't say no. (laughs) (laughs) No, The problem is in the book, we uh, publish it as uh, chapters in the magazine last eight years. And then uh, that's why we give this chapter to another translation each time, another translator. Uh, well, they told me, many friends, the book is that with six translators. There's a little bit difference between the styles, you know. But I think people, they were very kind to me because they like the book as a story. They said, OK, no problem with the translation. We'll the but end. I think in the next uh, second print, we will give it to one translator.
1: To sort of do a coherent or, co- or yes, more cohesive approach to mm. that. Oh, okay. Do? Yeah. Oh, thank you. She's, she's
2: told me no before. Oh, but all right. So yeah. Now it's on the air. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah.
1: public has heard it. <laughs> well, we're going to take another short break. It's the top of the hour. You're listening to the Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Ashley David. My guest today is Samuel Shimon, author of An Iraqi in Paris, and Margaret Obank, co founder and editor and publisher of Bonnie Paul Press. We'll be right back. <coughs> to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. This is The Living Writers Show. My name is Ashley David, and my guest today is Samuel Shimon. We're talking about his no- autobiographical novel, An Iraqi in Paris. And we left the last segment of the show by talking a little bit about translation. And I wonder if we can uh, begin this last segment of the show talking a little bit about how the book was received in the Arab
2: world. Well, uh, 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 I can tell you it was successful. I was surprised. Because uh, when a um, first print was finished in two months, and uh, this is not usually happened in the Arab world, and uh, all the reviews considered uh, one of the best uh, autobiographical, and uh, it was a massive success, really. I was so, so happy. And then, uh, uh, well, and, and get many letters, and then uh, when I ask myself And why the book was received, I think it was about. the the message in the book about the tolerance, how you can be a tolerant guy, you see, and uh, with all this uh, troubles I got in my life in the street, I uh, put a message in the book to be about about tolerance, how to be tolerant, things like that. I think everybody uh, felt it in that things, and they 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 used to write to me letters that uh, uh, some of them they told me their lives changed after reading the book, so I was very happy.
1: Wonderful. Well, uh, there are a lot of misperceptions in this country in particular about the Arab world. And um, so I wonder if we could sort of tease some things apart a little bit. You were born in Iraq, which sort of became Iraq because uh, a legacy of British colonial rule, mm-hmm. um, like Lebanon became Lebanon in part as a legacy of French mm-hmm. colonial rule. Um, but Iraq is not monolithic. It's um, the, You are a Syrian Christian. Yes. Um, there are Jews. Turks, Kurds, all kinds of folks in Iraq. Yes,
2: uh, Iraq, I mean, uh, uh, well, when I tell you about the book in Arabic, I just, a friend of mine, he's a a well-known poet, called me in in London, he wanted a copy of my book, and I was surprised. He's a very arrogant guy, asked about my book. He told me, just he got a phone call from Baghdad, somebody told him he must read the book, because somebody's talking about the old Iraq, which does not exist anymore. Uh, the Iraq of 60s before this uh, Saddam's regime arrived, you see, uh, we were live. The Muslims, Christians, and uh, Armenians, Kurds, uh, all together. We didn't have a problem. You in the book, for example, uh, I go to the photograph in the town. It's called Israel. I go to say, Uncle Israel, took photo for me, and my father will give you money later. You so it was uh, very tolerance. It was existing Iraqi societies until 60s, 70s.
1: And it was w- when, um, in the coup, the, the Ba'athist coup... In
2: 68, yes, 68. it started to change a lot of things, yes.
1: And in your hometown of Al-Habaniyah,
2: Al-Habaniyah.
1: Assyrians, Turkmen, Kurdish, Persians...
2: I was a, I was a very child, uh, a Muslim boy when I was in Iraq. In childhood, I didn't have any problems, you know. we didn't never talk about religion at all. I mean, uh, there were mosques and churches and everywhere you go, nobody talk about this. You know?
1: And then after this coup, most people, including my family, well, yes, they become
2: nationalistic and uh, started to change. uh, With the, um, it was a very, I think it's all happened after that sixty-eight.
1: How did that follow you around? Um, you when you left uh, Iraq, you managed to wander through Damascus, Amman, Beirut, Nicosia, Cairo, Tunis before landing in France, Mm -hmm. and um, along the way, uh, made friendships with. Arab intellectuals um, throughout and were often mistaken as a Muslim or as a Jew mm. um, or did, did mm. any of the animosity that developed after this coup play out in the relationships you were able to establish or once you sort of get to the realm of literature and intellectuals, did the tolerance remain?
2: Mm. Well, uh, I think I, I always uh, uh, wanted to be not, for example, I worked in Beirut with the Palestinian, with PLO, and I worked with the left, with the communism, with all. But I always kept my ideas. I wanted not to be belong in any party or any. Uh, i have been very, I uh, said, nice and work with them, helpful, but I didn't want to be really uh, involved in one idea or one religion. Sometimes I really feel I'm a Jew. Sometimes I feel I'm a Muslim, sometimes I'm a Buddhist. Christian, everything. In the end, in the book, I said somewhere that I feel all this to, all together in, to, in me, inside me, uh, because uh, I mean, if religions all they said that we are coming to for the, to do good things, so let's just be all these religions, you see. And I said in the book when I was forty, I felt that I go, I I share any friend I go with him. I feel his religions the same. I feel I'm with him. If I'm with a Muslim guy, I feel I'm a Muslim. Whether he's a Christian, I'm a Christian or a Jew. I think it's not very important for me really to be a Christian or a Muslim itself.
1: How do you think you connect with people then? Is it in a realm of ideas or emotion um, or experience?
2: Uh, spontaneity. I like the. P- people be spontaneous, don't think too much and now I can feel just he speaks as he thinks, you know, just like what I'm talking now, no without thinking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like people not think really too <laughs> much. I said to people what do you think? I said, keep it for yourself, the thinking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How does that play out in your writing? Um when you think about the kinds of work that you want to write, um, how how does this sort of philosophy play
2: out? Well, if you if you read the book, you see uh, I'm very clever. I put all my ideas and all what I want said in the book without uh, show to the people. When I talk to the people, I talk about life, about eating, drinking. But about the ideas of what I think about the world, about the things, it exists in the book. You can see that clearly because it's mine and I can write it. I don't want to discuss it in the cafe, you know, fighting about uh, you are with the Democratic or with the Republican. I can say that in my writing. I don't need to say that in cafe, really.
1: And then do you think that sort of combination um, of being able to just sort of relate to people when you're face-to-face, backed up with your ideas elsewhere? I'm a
2: very weak person. I don't like to confrontation with anyone you see i feel just quickly <laughs> i want to <laughs> go with him yes <laughs> sometimes yeah yeah, yeah well i
1: can understand yeah <laughs> <a>
2: coward <laughs> yes don't uh, want trouble don't want trouble, no more <laughs> <No>. trouble. well <laughs>
1: you've been you've had uh, your share of trouble so i can imagine yes is yes, is enough.
2: yes enough i think uh, it's a beautiful life you don't need to make it trouble
1: have you been back to iraq
2: uh, no no since 79 no
1: and your family are they still in Iraq?
2: Well, there are some of them in Baghdad. My brothers I have two brothers and sisters and I have sisters now, you know, in the, in Sweden and in, in Syria. Yeah, I think Iraq is a very stu- sad situation, you see.
1: Yeah. You mentioned this is completely tangential, but you mentioned you have a sister in, in Sweden, and the book is coming out in Swedish and also, I believe, in French next year. Yes, Tuesday. I signed
2: the contracts for these two languages. going to be published in 2007 in Swedish and French, and I am happy to be in these two languages.
1: Yeah. Yes. Are you able to stay in touch then with your family, um, your sister who's in Sweden, obviously? Well,
2: yes, yes. I, I, yeah, it's, uh, I, I like to, to call them. Now, and, uh, they have, you know, kids and these kids, all oh, they have internet, so it's very easy. Can uh, He send me the photos of his mother. I sent my photos through internet. It's very good.
1: <laughs> Wonderful thing that <about> internet. <laughs> it's really changed the way we communicate.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, I wonder if you would um, tell us a little bit about what you're working on next. So the book is coming out in 2007 in French and Swedish. Mm. Um, you are busy w- editing Bunny Banipal.
2: Banipal. And uh, I'm uh, just now uh, going to write the second book. I call it uh, a Syrian Soldier. I'm speaking about the history of, uh, through my life and my, when I was uh, 18 years old uh, Talking about the relationship In the Iraqi, Christian Iraqis In Iraq how? Because in many people they don't know that Christian societies in Iraq, haven't? so there's a secret so how these people they live and how the, the relation with with the non-Christian, the, as a non-Christian. We are citizens all in Iraq. We are friends, but there is still there is a things nobody talk about it. So I want to tell this sto- beautiful stories about the uh, Assyrians ladies. They were young. Then I see them how they love stories and they were a little open. You see. Uh, and also about uh, me when I become soldier in Iraq, how I've been soldier. So I think um, it will be very nice uh, uh, things about the Iraq society.
1: And will this also be an autobiographical novel? It, yes,
2: it, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I will always write that. <laughs> <laughs> I like to write about things I know, really. And uh, Yes, I, I, can, I have four or five books that will be all about my life.
1: Wonderful. Mm. And let me, you, you mentioned earlier in the show that you were tremendously influenced by Henry Miller. Are mm-hmm. there other um, writers in the Arab world or in the, in the West who were big influences?
2: Uh, well, uh, uh, our first book, and I didn't mention, I'm sorry about that, uh, about the tolerance we were talking. I think I read, I was um, about 15 years old, I read the, the Miserable of Victor Hugo, and I say something about it in my book. The Miserable uh, will stay until I die. It's the greatest book I read. Really, it's a beautiful book. Uh, uh, from that book, from Victor Hugo himself. Uh, don't forget, that Victor Hugo was refugees. Also, he became refugee in England, and he knew how to write about this. I mean, it's a really it's a strong book, The Miserable. So I, I influenced uh, a lot about this book. So I was always when I was writing, I was thinking how that uh the main character john valjean you see even in the book i said i'm john valjean <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: yes. um so have you given up the cinema are you
2: no no but it's very difficult no? <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> yes. very
1: difficult to go to hollywood <laughs> yes. i'm exchanging
2: um, emails last two weeks with uh, this palestinian director Hani abu asad he did uh, uh, paradise now he lives in hollywood yeah no, I'd I, I love to, but it's very difficult, no? But yeah. maybe, who knows? Who knows? After your show. Yeah, after your show. <laughs>
1: we'll funding and for the script. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Samuel Shimon, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And Margaret Obank, thank, thank you, you also thanks. for joining thank me. Thank you. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. And uh, I hope you have a good trip back to London. You're off after this now. You're headed back to London, or are you traveling around the U.S.? Uh,
2: we're going to Boston for this oh. MISA conference.
1: Oh, great. And then back And home. New York. Oh, and New York. Mm-hmm. Oh, that a little tour around the mm-hmm. East Coast. Yeah.
2: My next book is An Iraqi in New York. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> You're just going to
1: leave him there? Is that how it works? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. Well, my name is Ashley David. You've been listening to The Living Writers Show on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'd like to thank you for joining us today. I'd like to thank our engineer, Chaz Barrett. And I'd like to thank my guests, Samuel Shimon and Margaret Obank. Please stay tuned. Uh-huh.
0: think. sending out the signals, setting up outside. The one-two pitch, fastball, swing, and a miss. He struck him out. Jim Brower with his 200th career strikeouts. He ran the top of the second inning. And Brower is now just the eighth pitcher in Michigan Wolverines baseball history to strike out 200 batters in his career. (laughs) Howell doing everything he can here to keep the game